0: Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In Ephesians 5, Paul says not anything about inheriting the kingdom of heaven, but he says that those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? Now, when you have different terms, you want to understand in God's word why, why are the different terms used. Now, I mentioned earlier that the term kingdom of heaven is only used in the Gospel of Matthew. And the, the term kingdom of God is a much more general term. You see, the kingdom of heaven is very specific. It's talking about that literal, physical, earthly kingdom that will be established on the earth in which Christ will sit on a throne at Jerusalem and rule over Israel. Israel will rule over the Gentiles. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. The term kingdom of God, however, is a much more general term in the Bible. It doesn't refer specifically to that kingdom to be established on the earth. It's a much more general thing. And even in the Gospels... The, the term kingdom of God is often used. In fact, when you look at the parallels of this, these passages in Matthew that talk about the kingdom of heaven, and you look at the parable, parallel passages in Mark or Luke, you'll see that Mark and Luke use the term kingdom of God instead of kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a, another thing, you know, when you see those, those differences between the gospels, you have to remember, don't, don't you know, the, the, the attitude of unbelief sees that difference and they say, oh, you see, it's a contradiction, right? Matthew must have misquoted what Christ said because he says kingdom of heaven and Mark and Luke say kingdom of God, right? And that's the attitude of unbelief. The attitude of belief says why is that difference there? And and I, I hope you understand that the reason you have four gospels in your Bible is because they each present a different view. They each focus on a different aspect of who the Lord Jesus Christ was. Uh, can anybody tell me what What aspect of who Christ is the book of Matthew presents? Just shout it out. Matthew presents him as the king, right? Mark presents him as the servant. Luke presents him as man. John presents him as God, right? So you have that order. King, servant, man, God. And Matthew presents him as the king. So it's not not hard to understand why Matthew would use the more specific term to refer specifically to the kingdom that Christ is going to rule over as king. Right there. You got the reason. Usually when you find those kinds of differences between the four Gospels, you want to look at what aspect of who Christ is, is that gospel focusing on? And that'll explain to you why there's a difference. And so Matthew uses the specific term kingdom of heaven. The other Gospels use the more general term kingdom of God. And in Paul's epistles, he never refers to the kingdom of heaven. Um, Whenever he talks about the kingdom, it's the kingdom of God that he's referring to. It's not as if those are two separate things, but the kingdom of heaven is a very specific term. The kingdom of heaven is that kingdom that God has promised to the nation of Israel that he will establish on the earth. It's, it's yet future to today. The kingdom of God is a broad term, though. Kingdom of heaven is a very specific term. The kingdom of God is a very broad term. In fact, the kingdom of God would include the kingdom of heaven, okay? Okay. And so when you see the the term kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is always a part of the kingdom of God, but every time the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's not necessarily talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? Does that that make sense? Um, Liken it to, for instance, the difference between referring to a dog and a cocker spaniel, right? All cocker spaniels are dogs, but all dogs are not necessarily cocker spaniels, right? One is a specific term, one is a, a very broad and general term. Now in Paul's epistles when Paul uses the term kingdom of God he's he's never talking about the kingdom of heaven. All right. Remember we went back and looked in Deuteronomy how Israel was promised a kingdom that would be the days of heaven upon the earth. And and, uh, the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom in heaven but it's a kingdom that is established by heaven by, by the authority the government of heaven on the earth. Now that doesn't mean that heaven comes down to earth or that the that the physical locations of heaven and earth become one uh, out into eternity uh, when, when you get all the way to the end of the new testament there's a new heaven and a new earth all the way out into eternity future there are these two distinct realms the heavenly and the earthly and and it's not as if the, the two become one place put a mark here in ephesians 5 and go back to john chapter 3 um, by the way, how many of you are familiar with the, the ministry of Michael and Debbie Pearl? Have you ever heard of Michael and Debbie Pearl? No Greater Joy Ministries. Um, they, uh, they, you know, they, their ministry is a pretty broad-ranging ministry, but they especially have a lot of good materials having to do with raising children and um, and also with marriage and the family. I, I recommend their, their, uh, their website is nogreaterjoy.org, and I recommend almost almost anything that you can get from their ministry. is very good. And um, Michael Pearl tells a story. In fact, his latest book that he wrote is about this difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And he tells a story about how as a young preacher, he was out on a street corner preaching, street preaching, and uh, he was telling to people about the kingdom. And he said a man came up to him and told him, you know, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are not necessarily the same thing. And the man walked away. And he didn't tell him anything more. He just put, you know, put that thought in his mind. And for for years and years, that stayed with him until finally through diligent Bible study, he came to a lot of the, the things that we're talking about here in this message, about this distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And the reason it's important to understand the distinction is that there's a lot of people out there that are working to establish a kingdom that, that doesn't really have anything to do with what God's doing because they don't understand that difference. And they're trying through their efforts and their labor to set up a kingdom here on earth. You know, as the body of Christ, our job is not to establish a kingdom on earth. Our job is not to, to take over nations. It's, it's not, that's not the job of the body of Christ. Um, the the uh, body of Christ, we're here as ambassadors right of the of the heavenly government, not here trying to establish an earthly kingdom and uh, but many many Christians are trying to do that, and it's because of a, a lack of understanding about this difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. now in John chapter three, um, this is a familiar. Story, I'm sure to you how Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus at night. He comes at night because he doesn't want anybody to see him, talking to this man who's considered a, a blasphemer by the Pharisees. And um, in, in verse 3, I'll start in verse 1. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, notice he uses the term kingdom of God here, not the, he uses the general term, not the specific term. But the thing is, when that general term is used, you have to look at the context of the passage to know what it's, what it's talking about. Is it the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about here, or is it talking about the heavenly kingdom, or, or what, what's being described here? And if we keep reading, we, we get the answer. Uh, Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There it is again, kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And so, so, here you have him talking about the kingdom of God, and he talks about the new birth here, a a birth of the spirit. And you see, he he basically says that flesh can't enter. The kingdom of God. Now, the passage we're looking at in Ephesians 5 doesn't talk about entering the kingdom of God. It talks about inheriting the kingdom of God, which we'll, we'll see what the difference is there in a few moments. But he's talking about entering into the kingdom of God, and he says it requires a new birth. Because what's born of the flesh, this, this body of flesh, isn't going to enter into the kingdom of God. There has to be a spiritual birth that takes place for one to, to enter into that kingdom. And, of course, Nicodemus has no understanding of what Christ is talking about here. You see, Nicodemus thinks he's talking about entering into the womb again and being born and and that kind of thing. But verse 9, it says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness." If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? The kingdom that Christ is talking about in this passage, is he talking about heaven? He says he's talking about earthly things, right? He says, I couldn't even start to tell you about heavenly things, because if you can't understand the earthly things, how would you understand the heavenly things? Now, that doesn't mean that there's no application for this, this passage for us. You understand there's a, a new birth for us, but but we don't, we don't have a part in that earthly kingdom that Christ is talking about here. But it's very clear here in the passage that Christ is telling Nicodemus about earthly things. The kingdom of God or the part of the kingdom of God that Christ is talking about in this passage is an earthly kingdom. And in fact, the, um, the, the new birth here in this passage, there's not only a... a uh, an individual new birth that's in view in this passage, but also a national new birth for the nation of Israel that allows them to go into that kingdom. All right. Uh, and, and so Christ says, If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And Christ then talks about his coming death and him being lifted up. And then also his his uh, ascension. And the idea, in fact, okay, verse verse 14 says, As Moses was lifted up the serpent or as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so verses 13, 14, and 15 talk about Christ's death. Um, he doesn't he doesn't use the term death, but when he's talking about being lifted up, that's what he's describing. And also his ascension, he, he talks about uh, ascending up into heaven. And the idea is that the heavenly things that Christ couldn't tell Nicodemus about at this time wouldn't be revealed until after these events, until after he'd been lifted up, until after he had um, ascended back into heaven. And, and so um, here Jesus talking to Nicodemus uses the term kingdom of God, but still is focusing on the earthly aspect of that kingdom. If you want to think of the kingdom of God as having part an earthly kingdom and part a heavenly kingdom, that would really be the, the right way to think about it. And so when that broad general term is used, you have to look at the context of the passage. All right. Now, um, the, in Ephesians 5, where, we're, where our text is for today, it doesn't just mention the kingdom of God. It mentions the kingdom of Christ and of God. And understand those are not two separate kingdoms. It doesn't say the kingdoms of Christ and of God. It doesn't say the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. It's it's one kingdom. And you can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15 describes an order of events that take place with regard to this kingdom. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, there's really only, as far as God's concerned, there's really only one division within humanity. You know, we divide ourselves up into all kinds of different things. We divide ourselves up by race. We divide ourselves up by by nation and language and all these different things. But God's interested in one thing. Are you in Adam, which is kind of the default way you come into the world, or are you in Christ? Are you in Adam just in your, in your human nature, or are you in Christ in that you've believed the gospel of the grace of God, you've trusted, instead of trusting your works, your religion, anything you could do for salvation, that's, that's being in Adam, that's what Adam does. Um, are you in Christ, trusting in Christ and his finished work for your salvation? And you see what it says, it says, in Adam all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. And verse 23 says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, For he hath put all things under his feet, when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now understand that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is a member of the Godhead. He's the second person of the Godhead. He is God. But within the Godhead, you have Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's still a, a, a hierarchy within the Godhead. God the Father has supremacy over God the Son. And so here it describes uh, Jesus Christ and his coming. And at Christ's coming, he establishes that kingdom of heaven on the earth. The, the government of heaven rules over the earth. By the way, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, when Christ taught his disciples, to, to pray, gave that, them example, gave them that example of prayer. And he taught them to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What are they praying for? They're praying for the kingdom of heaven. They're praying for the, the government of heaven to be established on the earth so that God's will is done on earth the same way it is in heaven. They're not, they're not praying for them to go to heaven. They're praying for the kingdom of heaven to come to them. You see? And and you see at Christ's coming, that's what he establishes on the earth. Now it says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Now if you go into the book of Revelation, you can read about that kingdom that's established that extends for a thousand years, and at the end of that thousand years there's a, a great white throne judgment where the dead are judged. And this is describing what takes place after that in the new heaven and new earth where christ delivers up the kingdom to god and you see there it's not a different kingdom the kingdom of of christ and the kingdom of god is the same thing and and now you see that in eternity future even christ himself is going to be subject to god the father all right you see it there in that passage that even though everything is put under christ's feet. That's everything except for God the Father. And Christ himself remains subject to God the Father in eternity future. And and so when Ephesians, when Ephesians 5 talks about the kingdom of Christ and of God, it's, that's just another way to refer to the kingdom of God that we've been looking at. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Understand that the term kingdom of God is often used to refer not to a kingdom in the sense of a realm, But it's often used to refer to the authority that a king holds, okay? And that's that's an important thing to understand. Now, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, um, that can can be used either to refer to the kingdom that will be established on earth or to the authority that Christ will wield in that kingdom on earth. And likewise, the term kingdom of God can be used in general to refer to God's rulership over his creation and specifically to his his rulership over believers, no matter what dispensation they live in. Um, But but the term kingdom of God can also be used to refer to the authority that God holds. Here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, Christ had had been casting out devils as a sign of who he was. And the Pharisees, not willing to accept the implications of that sign, they accused him of using the power of Of the devil to cast out devils. And so in verse 24 it says, When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, when he uses the term kingdom of God in that passage, what's he referring to? Had the kingdom of God been established on the earth at that time? It it hadn't. Um, so what, what's he saying when he says the kingdom of God is come unto you? He's referring to the authority that he holds, right? He's saying if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, um, he, he's really pointing out to them why they're making this accusation. He's saying, first of all, it doesn't make any sense to say he's casting out devils by the power of the devil because it, that would have no purpose as far as Satan's kingdom was concerned. But he's saying the reason you won't accept what I'm doing is because if you acknowledge that, that what I'm doing is done by the Spirit of God, then you have to acknowledge who I am, that the kingdom of God, the, the royalty of God, the one who is fit to rule, is here, is come unto you. Right? He's referring to the authority that he has. And and he says, if he casts them out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Uh, go to Mark chapter 9. Here's another example. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Christ makes a statement in Mark 9, verse 1, that has uh, perplexed many students of Bible prophecy specifically and the timing of events. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, he's referring here to his disciples, and he says some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Well, let me ask you, was the kingdom of God established in their lifetime? Kingdom of God, as far as the kingdom on earth, the kingdom that they were looking for, hasn't been established yet, and they're all dead and gone, right? So how could Christ say that there were some of them that would not taste of death till they've seen the kingdom of God with power. Now, what some people do is is they take the approach, they say that because of the the change in dispensations, that didn't happen. But that would, again, you know, Christ here is speaking by, by the power of God the Father. He said he didn't speak anything except what the Father gave him. And the Father knew at this time that the dispensation of grace was going to be brought in, right? So... God's not, you know, pro- when, you see, when you see in prophecy these delays that are put into place, like in the 70th week of Daniel and the delay between the 69th week and the 70th week, what you can always find in the prophecy, while it doesn't necessarily tell you there's going to be a delay, you see there's always provision made for the delay. Here there's no provision made for this delay. He says some of them are going to be alive and see the kingdom of God come with power. And the answer here is not to say that there was a dispensational change or anything like that, but to realize that they did see the kingdom of God come with power in their lifetimes. And in fact, you see it right in this same chapter. Verse 2, After six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, uh, answered and said to Jesus, "'Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. And he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, "'This is my beloved Son, hear him.' And suddenly when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves." And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Now, here they see Christ transfigured. They see in a visible way, they see Christ shining. It talks about his garment and being whiter, so white that no fuller can white. And he's there and he's speaking with Elijah and with Moses and the Lord. He hear, they hear a voice from heaven that declares him as the, the beloved son of God. You see, they saw the kingdom of God with power. Not the kingdom established as far as a, a realm or a rule established on earth. But they visibly saw Christ's kingdom, his, his royalty, his majesty it always kind of amuses me their questioning there at the end of the passage he he tells them that um, they shouldn't tell anybody about these things until he's risen from the dead and you know the disciples were always confused about when to take Christ literally and when to take what he was saying figuratively and he you know they don't even they don't understand at this point that he's going to die uh, they don't understand that he's going to rise from the dead and so they walk away Questioning And they're kind of, kind of wondering among themselves, what, what does he mean by rising from the dead? Well, he meant rising from the dead. See, but they're looking for some figurative thing that, that he meant. Because they don't understand even that he's going to die, much less rise from the dead. But you see, they saw, Peter, James, and John saw the majesty, the kingdom of God come with power. Uh, I'll give you another example. Go to, um, go to Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now that's a good verse that the, the liberal denominations like to use, and they say, see, the, the kingdom of God is just, it's just within all of us. Right? And we just need to, to follow what's in our heart, and, and that's the kingdom of God. Now, does that sound like what, what Christ is saying? Does that sound like what he, what he said in other passages? Um, you know, it's interesting how people will, will cherry-pick these passages. Well, what, what's he saying to them? I mean, there was a kingdom. They're asking when the kingdom should come. And there was a kingdom that is promised to Israel that will come at a specific point in time. Right? So their question is not completely off base. They're wondering, when will that kingdom come? In fact, these unbelieving Pharisees here ask essentially the same question that Peter and and the 12 ask in Acts chapter 1 after the resurrection of Christ, after he'd been teaching them and and giving them the the, uh, fulfillment of those things in the law, when Peter and the 12 say, Wilt thou again at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Right? I mean, these, these lost Pharisees are asking the same thing. But Christ... One thing to understand about Christ, when people would ask him questions, especially when unbelievers would ask him questions, he never answers their questions directly. He never gives them a yes or no. He always gives them an answer that's true but is completely different from what they expected. Okay? Go go through and look at how Christ dealt with these questions of the Pharisees because he understands the Pharisees, when they're asking questions, they're not asking to know. They're not saying teach us and, and we want to hear what you have to say, they're wanting to catch him in something. And so he gives them answer. he won't give, even give them a yes or no answer, he just, he gives them answers that they don't understand and that, that a lot of times they can't make heads or tails of. Now, here, when he says the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, and he says that the kingdom of God is within you, he is certainly not telling this group of lost Pharisees that want to kill him, that they just need to look down at what's in their heart, and that's where they're going to find the kingdom of God. You know what the scripture says about your heart? It says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. It says it's deceitful above all things. There is nothing in your heart that you can call the kingdom of God. What he's saying is he's standing here in the midst of this group of unbelieving Pharisees, and they say, when is the kingdom of God going to come? He's saying, the kingdom of God is right here within your midst, Right now. See so he's pointing to he's pointing to himself, he's saying, He is the kingdom of God. You see? And again referring to that authority that he has, that authority that the Pharisees failed to recognize. He says that that the kingdom of God at that time was not going to come with observation. It wasn't something where you could go, you know, say the kingdom of God is established. He says it's within you right now. Why don't you recognize the kingdom of God when you see it? Say, he's referring to himself and his position and his authority as the kingdom of God. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.